Today's scripture reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his family and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? But in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. Jesus went on to say, So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Tom, for reading our scripture this morning. Pastor Monica and Pastor Jeff kicked off our sermon series a couple of weeks ago when I was on vacation. It was good to have time away with family, and it is good to be back here with you online and here in person. I've missed you. Our sermon series is called Stories Worth Repeating. I spent a great deal of time on vacation listening to stories as my dad was telling and retelling stories that shape us as a family. And as I was listening, I remember thinking, I need to start writing these down so that I won't forget them, so that we can share them generation after generation. That's what the early church did. They were sitting around listening as Jesus was telling them stories that would shape them as a community, and they told them and retold them so they wouldn't forget them. And then eventually they wrote them down. And so this is why we still have them today. This one coming from the Gospel of Matthew is a story worth repeating, so let's get busy repeating it. Would you pray with me? Oh, holy God, this day, as we celebrate a baptism and look forward to the day when Livy will confirm this faith as her own, Lord, we reaffirm our own faith today in you and name you as our Lord and Savior. And so we come to hear these stories that you tell again and again.
And may the words of our mouths, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord. For you are our rock, our refuge, and our redeemer. Amen. The story today is a difficult one. Jesus and the disciples, his followers, are discussing forgiveness. And Peter, one of the disciples, asks a question. Peter is one of those headliner disciples, the go big or go home one, the brash, all-in, impetuous disciple. He says to Jesus, how many times should I forgive someone? Seven? Seems like he thinks he's being generous. Jesus says, no, Peter, not seven. And then Jesus makes it even higher, unfortunately. (laughs) He says, no, Peter, 70 times seven. And in some translations, 77 times. The literal number is not the point because Jesus is telling Peter the number is not the point. In other words, Peter, stop counting. Forgiveness is not about a tally. It is about our hearts. And Jesus then tells this story that a king is settling accounts with his servants, getting people to pay what they owe. And one in particular owes, can you believe it, 10,000 talents. How much is that? Well, a talent as a unit of value in that culture was worth about 15 years of wages. So to calculate the amount, take your annual household income, multiply that by 15, and then multiply that number by 10,000. The number is so large that it is meant to be difficult to calculate, difficult to count, and impossible to pay. Because of the man's outrageous debt, the king orders the servant to be sold, along with his wife and children who are now sadly, powerlessly pulled into the ramifications of his behavior. The servant falls down before the king and pleads, begs for mercy. Have patience with me, he says, and I will pay you. Except that he can't pay it. Not really. No one can pay it. The amount is too large. The king knows it. The servant knows it. It is an un payable amount and he is terrified then a shocking thing happens the king out of compassion forgives the debt that is too big to count and too much to pay the man can go it's all clear And this now, recently now, debt-free man goes out and leaves, and then he runs into someone who owes him money. Oh, this person owes a hundred denarii. How much is that? One denarius in that culture was about a day's wage, so you figure whatever would be comparable today to about a hundred days of pay. Still not a small amount, but payable. 
this man takes this colleague of his by the throat and demands that he pays. The man pleads, begs for mercy, and says the same words the other one had said. Have patience with me, and I will pay you. Except this time, the result of the plea is quite different. We'd think that the first man who just moments ago had been forgiven this unimaginable debt would offer to his colleague the grace that was given to him. The debt, after all, is only one six hundred thousandth of the amount. But he doesn't. A shocking thing happens. He condemns the other man, raises himself above him, throws his colleague in prison until he can pay the debt. The other servants see this condemning behavior and they tell the king who is furious. So he summons that first servant back to him and calls him wicked for not extending to another the grace that was extended to him. Had he not learned anything, had he not been changed by such forgiveness? The king then hands him over to be tortured until he can pay the amount which, remember, is not payable. In other words, he will be tortured then for the rest of his life and then some. Not because he did not pay the debt, but because he did not forgive. What do we do with a story like this? It's meant to shock us. It's meant to make us uncomfortable. And we are meant to not only hear it, but tell it again and again. That in the repeating, we might be shaped and changed by it. This story of Jesus is unique. It's only found in the Gospel of Matthew, which is fitting because forgiveness is one of the primary themes in Matthew's Gospel. We hear it again and again. We hear it, for example, in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13, when Jesus is teaching them the words, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And in Matthew 26:28, when Jesus says, as he institutes holy communion, he lifts the cup and says that the cup represents his blood that is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Forgiveness was good news. For Matthew was written at a time when the early church was having problems and there was a need for forgiveness. The writer of Matthew is put in Greece where the wheel is squeaky and calls for a change of heart. There was conflict between the law-emphasizing Pharisees and the grace-emphasizing followers of Jesus and a need for forgiveness all around. There was not a need for withholding mercy until someone could pay whatever judgmental price the community would exact upon another. In Matthew, Jesus is saying mercy, not condemnation, is to define those who call themselves Christian. If they are known not by their love but by their judgment, there would be consequences. That part of the story, those last couple of verses, make us squirm a little. At least they do me. 
because we as human beings far too often are like the person in the story receiving bottomless grace and love from God while condemning someone else. And it's as if this story in those last couple of verses says our not forgiving another seems to invalidate God's forgiveness of us. I wonder. We know God's grace doesn't work like that. It's not transactional, right? God's grace will always be more than we deserve more than we can earn. It is now and always will be a free gift. And at the same time, this story unmistakably ups the ante on the importance of forgiveness in the midst of that and living it out for others. This story says forgiveness matters and it matters deeply. It matters in our relationship with God. It matters in our relationship with others And it matters for the whole of our lives and eternally. This story says forgiveness is serious business. I need to say this though. Forgiveness is hard. Isn't it? When you've been hurt down to the core, forgiveness is hard. And we could have an entire sermon series on forgiveness, which would probably be a good idea. And we're offering a study on forgiveness this summer. Forgiveness is part of every relationship, every friendship, every marriage, every organization, every society, every life. And when we are hurt deeply, forgiveness is more of a process than a moment. And it takes time. Especially when it comes to things like hate crimes, abuse, violence. You can go to the website called The Forgiveness Project and read story after story of persons who have been in some of the most difficult situations and what forgiveness has meant to them. It doesn't come easily. And we learn this as children, right? I still remember how my mom would make me and my sister forgive each other and we would say the nice words and smile while we were kicking each other under the table. Genuine forgiveness takes time. And sometimes the best that we can do when we're finding it too hard to forgive is to pray God's best for the other person. I have heard choosing to withhold forgiveness or holding on to a grudge is like swallowing poison and expecting it to hurt the other person, not realizing what it's doing to our own health and heart. And I need to say, too, that this scripture has been misused in harmful ways over the centuries to defend abusers and other dangerous behavior, telling victims to remain in and easily forgive repeated harm. That is not what this story is about. And please seek help if you are in an abusive relationship or situation like that. What this story is about 
is that the depth and breadth of God's forgiveness and grace call us to live a life marked by it, changed by it. God's forgiveness turns us into people who practice it and are known for our love of others, not our condemnation of them. So let me tell you another story that someone told to me about 20 years ago and asked me to tell at every church I would ever serve. It comes to me from a gentleman with whom I taught disciple Bible study back then, a gentleman who was then a retired military officer and pilot. And he said to me, this story comes from a time when he was seven years old, and I'll call him John. John was someone I highly respected and felt honored that I got to teach beside, and he made an impact on my life. When John was about seven, his father and mother were having a very uh, fancy dinner party with prominent guests who were coming over. And John's father said to him, whatever you do tonight, be quiet, stay out of the way, and don't touch that candle in the kitchen. John said his first thought was, what candle in the kitchen? And so after the dinner party began and he could hear the clinking of the silver and the china and the crystal, John sneaked down into the kitchen to check out and see what that candle was like. And he said it looked pretty interesting. The only thing he could think of to do with it, though, was to light it, which he did. And then he couldn't blow it out. And he said, in all of my efforts to blow out the candle, I accidentally got the curtains on fire. And then I couldn't put those out either. And in all my efforts to try to extinguish the curtains, it lit the wall of the kitchen on fire. And as the flames started to go around me, he said, I was terrified and I didn't want my dad to know I'd been in the kitchen So I ran and I hid under a table in a room in the house and didn't say anything to anybody. My parents and their guests eventually smelled the smoke and they ran into the kitchen and found it on fire and called the fire department. He said it was a horrible mess and fiasco and he said I was terrified. I could hear my parents running over the house, yelling at me, yelling for me, and I didn't know what to do, and I was terrified. I didn't know what my dad would say or do, and so I stayed where I was. And after the firefighters left, I could hear my dad's big black shoes going all over the house looking for me. And then I could hear those big black shoes getting closer and closer to the room where I was hiding. And then I saw them enter the room and come closer and closer to the table where I was underneath. He said, then a shocking thing happened. My dad crawled under the table to sit beside me. And he didn't say a word. John said, I could hardly breathe. And then my dad said, I bet you won't do that again. (laughs) And put his arms around me and held me for a really long time while I sobbed. 
He said, my dad never said another word about it. The rest of my life. Never brought it up. Never kidded me about it. Never gave me a hard time about it. Never ever mentioned it or told that story to anyone. He said, you would not believe the amount of cost and expense and time and repair and damage that was to our home. But not to our relationship. John said, my dad's forgiveness changed me for the rest of my life. And I was a different husband, a different father, a different officer, a different friend, a different Christian, a different human being because of it. He told me, tell this story in every church that you serve because people need to hear it. He said it taught me not only about my father's character, but also about God's. Because I know God crawled under that table first to be with me. And then helped my dad give me what God had already given him. That forgiveness defined John for the rest of his life because he was an example of it for others no matter what anyone had done. You see how that works? Maybe that's the point of the story. That God's forgiveness is meant to change us into people who forgive. The man in Jesus' story did not let it change him. And Jesus had something to say about that. How do you receive forgiveness from God? How has it changed you? How do you share it? It matters. Amen. And amen. And amen. Before we have our pastoral prayer this morning, I wonder if someone has come to mind. I want to invite you to think about someone God is nudging you to forgive. I want you to think about someone God may be nudging you to go to and say, I'm sorry. With that, let us pray. God of grace, God of more grace than we can imagine, for more than we can count. We lift up ourselves to you today. As Lord, we have a hard time with forgiveness. It's just a tough thing to do. And yet, Lord, we know that you forgive us time and time and time again. So many times it's a number, it's too high to count. So, Lord, we lift up that person today that you want us to forgive. 
help us move an inch in that maybe three or four help us Lord even if that person has passed away to say what we feel like we need to say to you Lord we also um, ask today that you help us forgive ourselves for all the ways that we mess up and hurt others and our regrets and we lift all of that to you and ask you to help us with it we're not as good at all this as you are so we need your help when it comes to forgiving others and ourselves we also ask Lord that those people to whom we need to say we're sorry and you help give us the words make our fingers dial that phone make our feet go in that direction Lord whatever it is you need to do within us we pray that that dial moves just a little bit more today thank you Lord that you meet us under that table and wrap your arms around us in love in forgiveness and in grace help us Lord with a hard work of forgiveness we also lift today Lord situations in our lives our families, our community, our nation, our world that are so difficult. And we lift to you today those things that break our hearts. We pray for all the victims and families and people impacted by the shooting in Brooklyn. We pray, Lord, too, for the first responders who worked hard to protect folks as well we pray Lord for all of that anyone impacted by that situation we can't imagine what that's like Lord we pray too for the people of Ukraine and that situation and for so many news stories that we see Lord and we connect with them one way and another and just pray and hardly sometimes know how to do that Thank you, Lord, that you are a Lord that heals and brings hope and offers us grace and mercy more than we can count. And Lord, you made that Lord's Prayer a little hard to say. But today we say it and we want to mean it. Every word. So we pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.